Welcome to the Seeds Church Podcast. Be sure to follow and subscribe to us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and on our Apple and Spotify podcasts. We hope you enjoy this inspiring message from our Sunday service. It's my pleasure tonight uh, to share a few thoughts with you, whether you're here or on the camera somewhere else in the world. I want to start with a story, because this story sets the scene for what I want to say tonight. I read a book recently called The Rain Queen, and it's written by Catherine Scholes, and it was set in Tanzania over a few decades last century. It's actually a bit of a page turner with quite a bit of tension in it. It's probably a good holiday read where you can deal with the tension quite quickly. It's um, a story of a young woman who travels from Australia to be in charge of a remote nursing station. And it's really a courageous thing to do because there's a lot of trouble brewing there. Rwanda is very near, and many of you know the story of the genocide that occurred there, and that was brewing at this time. As it's a Christian mission, there's a really small church there. And every Sunday, the staff and others attend, and an African pastor leads it. And there's a path that leads to the church, compacted by thousands of feet. It was not initially compacted by worshippers. It was compacted by slaves as they were led through that district to the slave castles to be sold overseas. And the church was deliberately built over that path and the central aisle of the church lined up with it exactly. The church was built as a sign of hope, replacing despair. Its very position signified the end of what for many years was a legal slave trade, which was run by the rich and the powerful. The presence of the building demonstrated there right now for all to see that all people had dignity, all were equal and all were made in the image of God. The church was very simple. Wooden floorboards, a simple altar, and no doubt, uncomfortable pews. On the altar was a cloth that had been embroidered by freed slaves. And the words were embroidered in blood red silk and simply said, in Christ you are truly free. Where there had been no hope for a section of the community, there was now hope and life and freedom. As the Apostle Paul put so beautifully in a letter to the Galatians, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ. All the distinctions and all the hierarchies that people like to put in place don't exist with Jesus. Now, this happened in Africa quite a while ago, over a period of time, where the very worst that the world could do was overcome and hope was restored for a repressed people. We see exactly the same thing in the Christmas story. The Roman Empire seemed unstoppable. It brought peace by repression and it amassed great wealth on the backs of slaves. Historians estimate that something like 10% of the population of the Roman Empire were slaves, 10%. But the very worst that the world was doing 
could not stop what God was doing in bringing the reign of God to earth. In fact, in Luke's story of Mary and Joseph, while, while there are various quotations that link that story back to the ancient text of the Old Testament, it seems like the main point that Luke is trying to make is that it came to pass because of an edict of a Roman emperor. Emperor Augustus ordered residents to return to their own towns, to be counted, and of course to pay tax. And so Jesus is born as a descendant of David in the town of David, exactly as the Old Testament said he would be. And it happened because unknowingly the emperor caused it to happen. The very worst of an oppressive rule did not disrupt the plans of God. And as Messiah, the anointed one, Jesus would fulfill the hopes of Israel and, of course, summon all the people of the world into a loving relationship. And as I thought about it, I thought the birth showed three things. It showed past actions of God in the Old Testament being fulfilled. They were prophesied. It showed the new thing that, Jesus, that God was doing in Jesus. And, of course, it looked forward to the complete and utter reign of God at a future time. And in that little church in Tanzania, all of those three, three of those aspects were present. The past was present in the freedom of the slaves. The present could be seen in the medical care offered by the clinic that was there. And one of the powerful symbols of that was there were pictures of all the little children who came in near death with serious malnutrition. And next to them were the pictures of the kids after they'd recovered, after they'd been treated. And then each Sunday, the community celebrated the time when Jesus would return and every tear would be wiped from people's faces. That's still to come. All of this happened in one of the most remote parts of Tanzania near the Rwandan border. But indeed, it was a pattern established a long time ago in Luke's story. When I worked in Tonga, the placement of ministers in the Free Wesleyan Church there, was announced on a national radio program. Can you believe that? Could you imagine it happening here? It was right at the end of the annual conference and everyone gathered around. Remember those things called transistors and so on? People would gather around there listening to see what was happening to the ministers in the country. Now, of course, they'd be interested to hear what was happening to their own minister, whether that, that person was going to move on but actually they were really equally interested, if not more interested, in who was being posted to the most remote parts of the kingdom of Tonga. One of the reasons for that was because sometimes people got posted there because they were naughty. And when they heard it, they thought, oh. So Jonathan Davies' name would come up and there'll be a pause. Cooper Petey. No. No, he's not going there. But likewise, if you were posted to Israel as a Roman soldier, it was not a career-enhancing move. It was the end of the empire, and no one wanted to go there. But God chose that place for the Son of God to be born. God chose a stable, not a palace. God chose poor people, not rich people. God chose shepherds to announce the birth of the Saviour. 
Now, shepherds were not looked upon favourably. You know, sometimes in Australia, there's citizen surveys where they ask questions like, what professions are the most reputable in our country? Any, any suggestions of what the top three might be? Police, did someone say? Could be. Anyone else? Let me tell you. Uh, this will be nice for some of you here. Doctors, scientists, teachers. Top three. A few teachers here. How do you feel? It's good. Bottom three. I'm not actually going to ask you. That might be embarrassing. The bottom three. Politicians in general. In other words, didn't matter what party they were from. Oh, they were third from the bottom. Second from the bottom were pollsters. You know those people who run and analyse opinion polls. And the very bottom? Advertising executives. That was the results last year. Well, in Israel, the shepherds were pretty near the bottom. I imagine tax collectors were probably right on the bottom, but shepherds were right near the bottom. Shepherds were obviously, they were seen as irreligious because they're out looking after their sheep and couldn't go to the temple. But they're also considered outside of the law, outside of the civil law and outside of the religious law. In the law courts, their testimony was considered invalid because they had such a reputation for dishonesty. Why would God choose shepherds? to share the message of Jesus. Why would God take that risk? We can only assume that if the shepherds are the one that God chose to announce the reign of Jesus, that God had a very good reason for doing that. Because you wouldn't normally believe them. But God does use them. And Mary does believe them. And she learns some things about her own son. I think the choice is saying that everyone is welcomed by God, including those society rejects. Everyone's invited into a relationship with God, no matter their reputation. When we look at Luke's list of those in the kingdom of God, we see the poor, the blind, the captives, the oppressed. We see tax collectors, we see prostitutes. All are included. And when the Spirit comes on Jesus and he begins to speak, good news is preached to them. The fact that this can happen in the midst of Caesar's power and in the midst of his demand for a census should increase our hope. The worst that the world can throw at us does not stop what God is doing. And it cannot stop it for every person, including those that the world looks down on. the most unlikely are welcomed and honoured. This year has tested us all. I think all the news during the presidential race in the US and all the lies being told, the news of COVID, whether here or overseas, the dreadful infection and death rates, the separation of states in Australia, the new outbreak in New South Wales, when will it stop? All the news about China trade, the continuing oppression of the poor. It feels like the very worst of everything is here. 
But the very worst that the world can do does not stop what God is doing. The things that separate us, our birthplace, our nationality, trade sanctions and tariffs, the demands of the state in response to all manner of things, the requirements of COVID, none have halted God's desire to be in a relationship with each and every one of us. But hear this. God continues to be offensive. In the days of Jesus, the view of God was that of a distant, often judgmental and oppressive figure. For God to, be, to come as a human was unthought of. It was deeply offensive. A God would never do that. For God to come in Jesus as a tiny baby, that can also be offensive to us. You mean that God is not a father Christmas figure who will give us everything we want? You mean that God won't get rid of everything bad in our lives? But God will come and longs to be in a free and loving relationship with you. Henry Nouwen wrote a book called Seeds of Hope. Now, he is a renowned university professor. He worked in universities such as Notre Dame, Yale and Harvard, which would look pretty good on anyone's list of places of work. He also worked with the poor in Peru. And then he gave up his job and he lived in a community of people with serious developmental disabilities. And his colleagues were offended and shocked. In that book, he says, uh, this quote from the Old Testament, a shoot shall sprout from the stump of Jesse and from his roots a bud shall blossom. He goes on and says, our salvation comes from something small and tender and vulnerable, something hardly noticeable. God, who is the creator of the universe, comes to us in smallness and weakness and hiddenness. And he says, you know, I keep expecting loud and impressive events to convince me and others of God's saving power, but over and over again, I'm reminded that the spectacles, the power plays and the big events are the ways of the world. Our temptation is to be distracted by them and made blind to the shoot that shall sprout from the stump. A baby born in a manger is such a small, tender and vulnerable thing. Now we are not shepherds, but it is true that the, world, the worst that the world can do will come knocking on our doors at some time in our lives, in death, in grief, in the loss of a job, the loss of a business, the loss of a reputation. But the worst that the world can do does not stop God inviting us into a life-giving, transforming and joy-filled relationship. Once again this year, hope is found in what God is doing. It is not found in the worst that the world can do. So this Christmas, I urge you to look beyond the fanfare and the noise to listen to the quiet voice of God. Let me finish with another story, which I think highlights beautifully what I've been trying to say. In 1994, Charlene Fairchild wrote a short story about her mother, Elizabeth. Just prior to Christmas, her mother had been diagnosed with Pick's disease. The loving, playful personality had gradually begun to disappear. Elizabeth's husband said he could not muster any Christmas cheer that year, and maybe there's a few others this year who feel about the same. He could not say Merry Christmas. But in sheer defiance, Elizabeth's brother, Martin, 
bought a Christmas tree. He said, the Grinch is not going to steal Elizabeth and Christmas. He decorated the house as she used to. But after it was all done, he just felt pretty flat. So on Christmas Eve, it came time to go to bed and the people so did so dreading the morning. Then came the gift. Unexpected, unbidden, just as surprising as the angels announcing the birth of Christ to the shepherds. You see, it was Elizabeth who woke her family and said, the Christ has come. Elizabeth said it. Despite her difficulty in speaking and all the other restrictions of her disease, God chose her to make the announcement that Christ has come. For the first time in weeks, the two men of the house arose with anticipation and through their tears, they recognised the great gift that they had been given. Elizabeth had brought the news of the Christ child coming. And Charlene went on to write this. The wonder of Christmas is not Merry Christmas or Happy Christmas, but that God sent his son to a nation controlled by a foreign and cruel power. It is that love that could not be overcome by the darkness. That love and wonder and hope was declared despite all else that was happening. Merry Christmas is not a hope that we escape the sadness of the world as much as God breaking in no matter what else has happened or is happening. Jesus is not so much a cute baby as someone who has changed the world forever. It's my prayer that tomorrow, even later tonight, you'll discover the Christ child, especially in the areas of your life where there's sadness or brokenness or disappointment, that your burdens may be lifted. Let me pray with you. So Jesus, we continue to amaze, to be amazed at your birth. What an extraordinary thing. We're grateful, God, that no matter who we are or what our reputation is, you welcome us. And you come in such a tender, gentle way where we experience pure and perfect love. So we say, come again, Jesus. Thanks for listening to the Seeds Church podcast. We hope you join in with us next week. For more information, you can visit our website at seedschurch.org.